Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhart. I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is sponsored by Raw Power, an app that lets you process raw files on your Mac with full control over Apple's raw engine. We'll tell you more about Raw Power later in the show. Thanks for joining us for this week's Photoactive. If you're a regular listener and you paid attention last week, you'll know that we have moved the frequency of the podcast to fortnightly, or as Jeff would say, every two weeks or bi-weekly. So if you felt that you missed an episode last week and you were curious, we're very happy that you're so interested in listening to us. But because of our professional commitments, we'll be doing this every two weeks for a while. How are you this week, Jeff? I'm doing very well. I actually was very encouraged by someone in our Facebook group who was happy that we were switching because he's gotten so far behind. And I think all of us who listen to podcasts, you just hit that point where I can't keep up. And uh, what's great, I think, uh, if I can just chill for our own podcast here, uh, is that you know we're not trying to hit super timely things. Like you can go back and listen to any of our episodes and it's still very timely. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing that on purpose. So I'm happy that, that we're switching both for our own schedules, but also uh, I think it'll be good for our listeners. I think we've had a couple of episodes where we have talked a little bit about timely things like the new iPhone or changes in Apple's photos apps and things like that. But they're not that timely that you absolutely have to listen to them that week in order to decide what you're going to go out and buy or whether you're going to install certain software. Exactly. We try to make evergreen episodes that you can go back and listen to at any time. And you can listen over and over again. Well, I don't know if they'd want to, but some people might. So I had an interesting experience this weekend. I had my portrait shot by Martin Parr. That's really incredible. Now, just to catch everybody up, uh, we've mentioned Martin Parr on the podcast before, but uh, can you just refresh us on who he is and how did you manage to get in a position where he's shooting your portrait? Martin Parr is a British photographer. He's in his 60s. And he's a member of Magnum Photos. I think he joined Magnum Photos in 1994. His photography has a relatively quirky style. We'll have links in the show notes to his uh, website and to his foundation, which I'll discuss in a few minutes. He likes to shoot pictures of people doing leisure activities. A lot of people on the beach or at racetracks or in parks. And it's quirky photos. It's photos that are humorous. It's photos that catch people in unexpected situations. It's not like street photography, black and white, where you're looking for some profound moment. It's trying to find the lightness in life. Martin has published about 40 books, I believe, and I have one of them which I find extremely interesting. It's called Remote Scottish Postboxes. And it's his first book ever of landscapes, and each one has one of those British red postboxes on a pillar or on a wall or someplace. And that's in the center of a square photo, and you're seeing the landscape around it. In a way, he took this as a thread to take pictures of landscapes in Scotland. And it's, it's a very nice book. It's, it's a very small edition. It, it's hand-sewn. It's a number of brochures by each part of the country with maps and everything. His style is a bit humorous, a bit unexpected. It's not the kind of photography that you really see normally. And, and he does commercial photography. If you look up uh, on Google, Martin Parr and Gucci. He did a series of photos for Gucci watches recently. And you wouldn't expect a watch to be presented the way it is in these photos. That sounds really intriguing. We'll put a link to the show notes uh, for that. Now, for his photos of people, are those staged? Or is he really just sort of going out and, and looking for levity in everyday situations? 
you, you could call it street photography, but it's not always streets. It's often beaches or parks and, and things like that. But it, Beach photography. Uh, beach park street photography. And, and sometimes <laughs> it's in streets, but very often, uh, in an interview I heard um, with him recently on a podcast, he was saying that what he likes is to photograph people in their leisure activities. And he likes to go to beaches in particular because people are relatively disarmed. They're nearly naked. They're surrounded by crowds, but they're sort of in their own little worlds as they're lying on the beach or eating ice cream or swimming or whatever. While it's not street photography, it is a, a photography of real people doing real things, not staged at all. He obviously does some staged commercial photography. He did a cover for Vogue Brazil very recently, a half a dozen women in swimsuits, all with very different bodies from slim to my sort of weight class to, you know, everything in between. So basically, real people, real bodies, real weights, not sticks and stone. Yeah. Exactly. And also, a couple of things he said in that podcast were interesting. He almost always, if not always, shoots in automatic mode. He doesn't mess with his camera. He sets it up. He wants to get a picture. Uh, we mentioned that when we talked about shooting in automatic and manual. He's looking for the composition, the lighting, the colors, and that's it. He doesn't care about anything else. The other thing in, in this interview I heard him say is that he's never processed a file in his life. He has minions to do this for him. So he takes the pictures, passes them on to someone else. He's got a whole crew of assistants, uh, and they do all the work afterwards. He doesn't want to spend his time on that. He wants to capture the moment, the composition, the frame. Uh, I don't even know if he crops photos when he takes them. So if he's saying he doesn't process them, uh, there, there might be some cropping involved, but he's really not interested in anything that you know, all this geeky stuff about shadows and highlights and all that kind of thing that we talk about a little bit that, that's not our interest in particular. He just wants to take the photos and then move on. That's actually almost a revolutionary concept right now because I think when all of us think about photography, of course, we think about gear, we think about cameras, we think about settings. And software. And and software. And, you know, we're, we're doing our best to try to try to move away from that. But you still have that assumption of, okay, you have to have, you know, X technical level to shoot. And I, I sort of love the purity of that where he's saying, uh, look, this camera, it's going to take pictures and it's going to do a good job and I'm only going to worry about what I see. I would be curious to know, like, how much his minions have to do to his his images. Are they doing a lot of editing but I suspect it's probably not much. It doesn't look like it. If you look on his website at some of the images, you'll see the only thing that stands out is the relatively high level of saturation. And that could be a choice in camera. I don't know if he's shooting JPEGs, in fact. That could be a post-production choice. You don't see things like vignettes. You don't see things like graduated filters or... Uh, you know, any kind of effect. You don't see anything. It, in fact, his photos look like postcards. That's probably the best way to describe them. But postcards by someone who doesn't want to sell the postcards or sell them as postcards. <laughs> um, I'll put a link in the show notes to one photo that I particularly like. It's either one woman or two people lying on towels near a beach, and they're about four feet away from a bulldozer. And I think that says everything. It's that they're in their leisure space, even though they're by the side of a road near a beach someplace and there's a bulldozer next to them. They're ignoring the space around them. And, and that, to me, is, is a wonderful moment that he caught of people who are just oblivious to what's right next to them. 
So tell me how you got to be in a position where he is shooting your photograph. I mean, I'm assuming that he didn't just, you know, bump into you in the middle of the street or or you were on the beach. Uh, what's the circumstances surrounding this? Because it, it almost sounds different from what he normally does. Martin Parr had what may be the biggest collection of photo books in the world outside of a library. He had some 60,000 books and he sold them to the Tate Gallery in London a couple years ago, and he decided to put all or most of that money into a foundation that he calls the Martin Parr Foundation. Uh, the foundation opened in 2017 in Bristol, which is about an hour and a half from me, and the foundation, in order to raise funds, had what they call a portrait studio on the 19th and the 20th of January. Uh, what you did is you signed up and you paid a certain amount of money to have your picture taken, and then you paid a certain amount of money to have the photos that you'll get later, the photos will, of course, be signed by Martin Parr, and they're available in three different sizes, etc. So essentially, so he got 50 people on Saturday and 50 people on Sunday. Well, I say people, 50 shoots, because some of them were a half a dozen people. And, and so over the weekend, he did 100 photo shoots uh, in two days. And the money from this is going to help pay for the foundation. And now he set up the foundation to promote British and Irish photography to start building up another new library of photo books. And there were thousands in the library. We were browsing around. Actually, the library is kind of a back room. It's not open to the public for in the exhibit space. But when we went in, we got tea and biscuits. And it was in the, it sounds the wonderful. library. This is all very British, yeah. It was in the library space. And there were signs on it, you know, um, library currently being inventoried, please do not touch books. So we couldn't look through any of them, but there were thousands of books. And, and again, in this interview I heard with him a while ago, he said that he had to sell the entire collection to the Tate Gallery, but he has bought back many books that he had before in order to have them in the foundation for his own use and for other people to see. So the foundation has exhibits, they have talks by photographers, and this is something that's going to continue. This only opened, what was it, 2017, we had been in Bristol in May of 2018 and visited the foundation just out of curiosity because we went to Bristol to go to the theater and I knew the foundation was there. So I said, well, let's go see this. At the time, the area where his foundation is located was still under construction. So it was a little bit complicated to like climb around things to get in. <laughs> um, but now it's all finished. I believe the British Society of Photography is moving in right across the street. So this is going to make Bristol, which is not a very big city, a, a sort of hub for photography in the UK. Now, is this also where he has a studio? Like, like is, is this where he lives and works? I, I assume he lives in Bristol, but he certainly doesn't have a studio in the space of the foundation. Oh, okay. The, the foundation is one floor. There's an exhibit space that's maybe 600 square feet. It's not humongous. And then there's the library and the kitchen in the back and and all that. So it's not a, a huge space. He might have a studio elsewhere, but he doesn't do a lot of studio photography in general. Most of his photography is people outdoors in real life situations. So where were you shooting? I mean, did they just convert a room into like a, a photo studio for this event? They just used the exhibit space. They took the exhibit space and filled it up. I tell you what, let's take a break. And when we come back, I'll tell you more about what the experience was like. Excellent. Raw Power 2 lets you process photos on your Mac, iPhone, or iPad with full control over Apple's Raw Engine. Did you know Apple applies its own boost adjustment to Raw files? Raw Power gives you control over that setting, plus many other Raw-specific edits like exceptional highlight recovery, noise reduction, capture sharpening, gamut mapping, and more. Raw Power 2 on the Mac runs as a standalone app or as an extension in Apple Photos. 
your non-destructive edits will sync over iCloud Photos. That means you can continue editing in Raw Power 2 for iOS, a full photo library app that offers the same features as the Mac and works with your existing iOS Photos library. If you shoot with more than one camera, one of my favorite features is the ability to auto-detect the source and apply automatic corrections. Maybe your Canon RAW files exhibit a greenish tint. Well, RAW Power on the Mac can apply the fix for you automatically, saving you time and letting you focus on making the rest of your image better. Find out more about RAW Power at rawpower.app. That's rawpower, one word, dot app. So before the break, you were asking me where the photos were shot and what the space was like and all that. Let me start by saying I don't like to have my picture taken. I'm not like you, Jeff. I don't plaster pictures of myself all over the place. I, I have actually never taken a selfie in my life. <laughs> um, you have photos of you and your family, and particularly your daughter, who is going to grow up and one day hate you for all the photos you take. I know. I'm uncomfortable in front of the camera. My partner, Sally, is not entirely comfortable, but she was into it and she was like, okay, this is going to be fun. This is something really important for photographers is to get your photo taken because most of us are not comfortable in front of a camera. I mean, taking a selfie is one thing, but actually like being part of a photo shoot, being the subject of a photo shoot is a completely different thing, at least in my experience. One of the reasons why I loved this topic today is because, you know, people really need to get that that experience. If you're going to shoot photos of people, you really need to have a photo taken of yourself. Yeah, and that's one of the two reasons I wanted to do this. The The first reason, obviously, is, wow, have my picture taken by Martin Parr. That's really cool. And the second is, you know, this will be an interesting experience. It, it will put me outside of my comfort zone. I will trust myself to this photographer uh, because you are trusting a photographer to show you in a certain light. Yes, absolutely. If you're uncomfortable in front of the camera, the photographer has to make you comfortable. And, th and that's the most interesting thing about the process of how do they do that. Before we jump into the actual experience, can I ask you, what were your expectations going into it? And were you asked to wear anything or bring anything? Or was this strictly show up, be comfortable, get your picture taken? Ah, that's a good question. Because with Martin Parr's quirky type of photography, um, the email that I got said, we'd like you to feel free to bring any kind of props or costumes or even pets if you want. Um, and I wrote back and I said, well, that's interesting. I don't think our cats would appreciate it. They would <laughs> go hide in a corner. I'm not too sure we want to do nude photos. That's really not our style. But the person replied that when they did a previous um, portrait studio in Paris, a number of people had done nude photos. Oh. So basically, we could have gone and, and, and we could have presented ourselves any way we wanted. So uh, as I've mentioned several times, I live near Stratford-upon-Avon, which is the home of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And my partner went to their costume store where you can rent costumes. And there were thousands of costumes. And she spent a couple hours looking around. But we just didn't have an idea of, do we want to dress up as, you know, Romeo and Juliet or King Lear and Cordelia or something like that? So we didn't. We just ironed a couple of our clothes, which is something I rarely do. Um, and <laughs> Freelance writers, yay! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't even wear sweatpants. I wore actual trousers. Good, um, good, good. But we just went there familiar with his work, and basically it was a big question mark until we got there. So you said 50 people on one day, 50 people on the next day. Yeah. Was this something, like, like that sounds like a massive amount of people. Tell me about the experience of, of being there, because as much as I'm also interested in being in front of the camera, 
you know, there's that part of me that's like the 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 structure and the organization of doing a photo shoot that is interesting too. Well, when we got there, we were greeted at a little table by the front door by a stuffed dinosaur. <laughs> and that kind of set the tone that things were going to be a little strange. And then one of the assistants came and we were the next to last people of the day. We were scheduled to be shot at 530. And so there was one other shoot after us. So we went into this exhibition space, which previously, as I said, we'd visited in May, was a wide open space like in any gallery or museum where people walk around with their arms crossed and look at things and go, hmm. But here on one side, you had these, what would you call them? These baffles, yeah. right? To, yeah. to focus the light. And then a big blue background, a polka dotted background with lights, with umbrellas. I don't know what the, the diffusers, umbrella diffusers that yeah. were. Yeah. I don't umbrellas. know the terminology. Yeah. But basically you had a small set um, with baffles on the side and the background and all that. And elsewhere were these tables sort of spread out haphazardly with IMAX and messy piles of paper and people sitting around all of the tables looking at the IMAX. So you'll understand why in a second when I get to the, the post-shoot bit. Okay. So we, we got our tea and biscuits, and then they said, okay, it's time. We're ahead of schedule. One of the assistants takes us up to the, um, to the set, as it were, and shows us about where we're supposed to stand. You know, there wasn't an actual line on the floor, but there was a kind of a mark. And so you're going to stand around here. And Martin comes up with his camera. Now, just for the gearheads, he's got either a Canon or a Nikon or one of those things. And I'm not even sure that it matters. And he's, he's shooting tethered to an iMac into Lightroom. There are, as I said, these umbrella diffusers. And, you know, so the lights come on and there's plenty of light. He starts by saying, okay, I want you to stand there and hold hands, and I want a serious expression. So we did the serious expression, kind of my default expression, you know, serious, not smiling kind of thing. And he did four or five photos like that. And then he came over and started talking to us. How long did we know each other? How did we meet, etc.? Breaking the ice, trying to find something to do. And then he wanted us to smile, and he takes the camera and he says, okay, now say gherkin. <laughs> and of course, that made me laugh because everyone says cheese and well, what would you say gherkin? Right. By the way, a gherkin in British English is a pickle in U.S. English, whereas a gherkin in U.S. English is a tiny pickle. I did not know that. I knew it was a pickle, yes. but now, see? There you go. You're learning, learning everything every day. There, there's also a building in London that they call the gherkin, but if you look it up, it looks like a suppository. Yes, <laughs> I know about that one too. <laughs> So he took a few photos and we were saying things like gherkin and pancakes and cheese and whipped cream and things like that to make sure that we had facial expressions and, and our mouths were moving. And then he had us positioned a little bit different with my hand on my partner's shoulder and then facing each other. And then he said, okay, when I say go, I want you to, to, to my partner, when I say go, I want you to give him a kiss. Of course, she went too early, and then we tried it a few times, but the timing was off on that. <laughs> and then we had a number of positions, and this I think this lasted about 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And after the first couple of sets of photos, it was just, it just felt fun, because he was fun, he was congenial, he was directing us to do things, and you forget about the fact that there's a camera there at that point. And I think this is the one of the most important things, because what does he have to do? He's got the technical uh, elements. That he's got to get the light right and the focus. And that's pretty easy. When you have enough light, you have a lot of depth of field. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You get your shutter speed fast enough. Simple stuff. Especially when you have a controlled environment like that. 
Exactly. But the hard thing is to get your subject to be relaxed. I'll link in the show notes. The night before, I was showing my partner some portraits. Do you know the photographer Yusef Karsh, who did a lot of portraits in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s? Very famous portrait of Winston Churchill, looking immensely serious in 1941. But if you search for that on Google Images, you'll find he also did a portrait of Winston Churchill in the same sitting with a big smile on his face. Ah, yes. And so it's kind of interesting that maybe a statesman wants to look serious, but the photographer has to create that rapport so there can be something more than that seriousness to make the person drop their guard a little bit. I, I think that's the most important thing. Well, there's also that level of self-consciousness because you're thinking like, am I posed right? Do I look right? Are, are my clothes okay? Am I you know, doing what he's expecting? What is he expecting? I, I don't really know. And what I like hearing this is it sounds like he just immediately just started directing you. So you have that sense of, all right, he knows what he's doing. He's going to get some shots off, like sort of get that out of the way and then he went and talked to you a bit and was was friendly and find out a little bit about you and then like the rest of the shoot seems like it was a lot more casual a lot more comfortable and you know even when you're talking about people on the beach when people are more comfortable you're going to get better reactions and it it also doesn't sound like he was very no, forced not at about all. it I he mean, was very he, laid back. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Like it wasn't like, okay, I want you to smile now. I want you to turn your shoulders three quarters this or yeah, that. Like that, and that's what you see in photo shoots of models whenever you see a documentary. But these are professional models who know what that means when someone tells them to do it. That's a great um, point. Whereas we don't. We're just, you know, people getting our picture taken. So it's up to him to know how to get us in a position that will somehow show our reality without us comping for the for the camera without us trying to pose yeah. in fact that's the whole thing we didn't really pose he put us in positions and and we weren't posing we didn't have time to think about posing and think about the camera because this went quick enough with you know this position here do this a half a dozen shots and then go over here do that half a dozen shots so we didn't have time to be that self-conscious about what we were doing that's great seeing the picture of martin parr that you took um, I noticed that that blue background, which seems like an odd choice to me. Do you know why they were doing that? Or I'll link in the show notes to the webpage that they set up to promote this uh, session, and you'll see that there are a number of photos at the top that cycle through, and they're all sort of what would you call them? Colorful backgrounds, okay. colorful okay. in different ways. There was the, some of them are like paisley type, and this one was blue with polka dots. And I think every time he just wants colors. He doesn't want it to be a drab kind of thing because he wants he wants it to be lively. Well, is, is yeah. Well, that, I, I think that's interesting because that's also him putting his stamp on it versus yeah, someone who chewed on a plain gray background, for example. Exactly. Like like, like that would be very typical and professional looking and. Probably something you could get from, you know, most photographers, but, you know, you're here to get a Martin Parr photograph, not just your portrait at Sears or what have you. Exactly. And one thing to point out is that all of these photos are full body photos. Oh. For us, he was shooting in portrait mode, but I, I saw some other photos of people, uh, of groups of people that he was shooting in landscape, but they're all full body, uh, head to toe with space above the head where you see the background and space in front of the feet where you see the floor. So these aren't close-ups. These aren't tight photos. In fact, 
the framing of everyone is pretty much the same dimensions when you think about it. Um, it it's filling the frame rather than, and again, on that webpage, I'll link to in the show notes, you'll see what that looks like. I think that's an example of him putting his stamp on the photos because in a lot of situations, when you're taking someone's portrait, you are creating something for them. Maybe maybe it's a headshot. Maybe it's something more formal versus creating a photo of your style with those people in it. And I think that that switch here is interesting and, again, makes it you know a Martin Parr photo, not just a portrait of Kirk, that makes this interesting. Yeah, I, I think that it adds a certain amount of consistency to it because afterwards, when I was talking to one of the assistants, she said that, yeah, he's not sure whether he's going to do a book or an exhibit of these photos and, and not just this particular photo shoot, but one that they did in 2017 as well. And if he did, you'd want that consistency. You know, if you do a book of, of portraits of people, uh, unless you're Yusef Karsh or some famous portrait photographer, there should be some sort of consistency to it. And in particular, Martin Parr wants that colorfulness. Now, maybe in the different shoots, he's used different colors. I saw some photos on Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes to the Martin Parr hashtag on Instagram where you can see some photos that people put up. And on Sunday, he used the same background, but it's possible in the previous shoots from the webpage on the website that shows that they were using a different background. So it might be each year he uses a different background, if that makes sense. So there is a consistency with the background, with the full body shots. But if you were to see a book of these or an exhibit of these, you will see that they all fit together, that they weren't taken at, at too many disparate times. So you spent maybe 15, 20 minutes actually shooting, right? And then what happened? Well, then we walked over to one of the tables with an iMac and a young woman who was one of his assistants sat down with us and she pulled up our folder in her Lightroom and there were about 50 or 60 photos altogether. And she said, okay, we're going to go through the photos one at a time and you let me know which ones you like and you let me know which ones you really like. And then we'll go through again. So we went through the first time. The first one, the serious expression is like, no, that sucks. <laughs> and then, oh, no, that one's not good. Uh, and this one, oh, I was blinking in that one. And, you know, but that's the that's why he takes 50 photos, because you want to make sure there are good photos and, and you don't get people with blinking or with funny facial um, expressions and all that. Can I ask a quick technical question? Was he shooting in burst mode? Like, was it bam, 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 bam? Or was it like, take a picture, take a picture, take a picture, take a picture? It sounded, I didn't really pay that much attention, but it sounded like a slow burst mode. Okay. Like bam, bam, bam. Not, not like three per second. Right, right. But maybe one per second. And maybe he was shooting it uh, manually like that, but I, I would be more likely to think he was shooting some sort of a burst um, to get multiple photos without having to keep pressing the shutter. Exactly. Okay. Um, so, th so there are photos of us in very close proximity in time, you know, in each sort of group of photos in, in each pose. So we went through the photos and we took about, I don't know, a dozen that we thought were okay. And then we went through again and we narrowed it down to a half a dozen. In particular, the, the good expression, one of, one of them was one of the earliest ones where we were just holding hands and smiling, not the serious expression. Mm -hmm. And then there were a few others sideways and doing different things. And we narrowed it down to two that we kind of liked. And I, I, since he wasn't shooting anymore at this time, I said, Martin, can you come over here and look? We've narrowed it down to this short list, but I'd like your opinion as the photographer, which ones you think are the most interesting. Nice. Now, he chose the same two that we had, not because we had chosen them, but because that was what he felt was the best. 
he said the first one was the sort of classic uh, pose, and the second one is my partner's laughing and I'm looking sideways, and, and it is a more lively pose, and he thought those two were the best. So that confirmed our opinion that, that we were seeing the, the same kind of things, you know, that in, in a way, if you're getting your picture taken by Martin Parr and you know his work, you want that picture to have that Martin Parr look, right? Yeah. If I was getting my picture done by Yusef Karsh, I'd want it to be black and white and serious and, you know, with with cinematic lighting and all that. <laughs> so he said, yes, these these are the two that I definitely think are the best. And so we've ordered prints of the two of them and we'll get them in a couple of weeks. That's why you won't see any photos in the show notes of uh, our photo shoot. Now, we did sign a model release that these can be used on social media, in exhibits, in a book or or whatever. And wouldn't that be cool to have our picture in a Martin Parr book. I mean, seriously. That would be extremely cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it also sounds like he was very approachable during all this. Oh, extremely. Yeah. And you'll see in the show notes that afterwards, um, I went up to him and said, Martin, can I take your picture too? And he said, of course. So I had my Fuji X-Pro2 and I got it out and it was like the lights weren't too bright. So I had to up the ISO and I ended up shooting at 145th of a second. The photo's a bit blurry, as you'll see. And I learned a very important lesson. Which is? For photos like that, use my iPhone. Oh, yes. Yeah, good point. Because you'll see two other photos in the show notes, which I took. Now, this is when I was sitting by the iMac looking at my photos, and he was shooting the last person who, who was after us. So I used the zoom lens on my iPhone, cropped them to square to get rid of uh, a lot of distractions on the left side. But you can see him at work. And those photos are fine. The light's fine. Uh, they're crisp and they're sharp and everything. But, you know... I'm in front of Martin Parr asking to take his portrait and I'm like fiddling with my camera. I don't want to take too long. And I took two because the first one, I, I didn't chimp. And I took two, fortunately, because the first one, he had this really strange squinty expression. He was in the middle of a blink. And the second one is a wonderful expression. I really regret that it was so blurry because I think it is, actually is a very good portrait. It shows him as he seemed to be to me, this jovial, fun guy. This sounds like a great experience. And I think... I'm going to, you know, recommend anybody who is shooting portraits, like see if you can get your portrait done by somebody else, whether that's a friend who's also into photography, like, you know, you can you know, practice on each other um, or even just going out and, you know, having a family portrait done. Well, this goes beyond that. So in a, in a family portrait, you're in a hushed studio and everything is, is, is perfect. And what was kind of interesting here was that it was very lively. There were people talking um, there was a lot of movement going on. You felt that you were part of an event more than something incredibly serious. They said to us that earlier that day they'd had some people with dogs and chickens and, you know, kids with props and toys and things. So I, I would really like to see a book or an exhibit of all these photos because here were people coming in to get photos taken that weren't serious, that weren't serious family photos that were fun. And as I said earlier, they recommended that we bring any costumes or props that we wanted. They wanted people to have things that represent them. Um, and I, I would like to see what the other people did. Jeff, time for our snapshots. What have you got this week? So since we're talking about shooting portraits, uh, I'm going to pull out a book. And the book is called The Photographer's Guide to Posing by Lindsay Adler. What I like about this book is the subhead here, which is techniques to flatter everyone. I've not done a whole lot of portrait photography. And posing sort of scares me. And I will also admit that, you know, at one point I thought 
all of these these videos and books about posing seem kind of silly because you just want people to be natural and they want to you know look natural and why do you have to tell them to move their shoulder three inches this way or that way well of course i was completely wrong especially in some circumstances like lindsay adler she shoots a lot of like very high fashion but she also the book covers all sorts of different circumstances all types of body shapes and uh, when i was at the wppi uh, conference last year i sat in on a session of hers where she was talking about this and that sort of opened my eyes to okay posing isn't just a high fashion thing uh, there are things that you can do, say, you want somebody who wants to emphasize their their shoulders or they want to de-emphasize their hips. Like there are things that you can do to make a portrait more complimentary without going overboard. So the book has a ton of examples. Uh, it's really good information and it's definitely worth picking up if you're going to be doing uh, this type of, of, of portrait shooting. Yeah, and as we were saying before, that's totally the the opposite kind of portrait shoot than what I did this past weekend, where uh, what Martin Parr was looking for was spontaneity. Yeah. And what these professional portrait photographers, particularly for fashion, are looking for is a very, very specific look. They know what they're looking for often. They make it a, a lot of uh, feedback from the model who does something that then they realize is really good, but they still know what they're looking for. Whereas with Martin Parr, it was he doesn't know these people. He's not shooting or anything more than just this to be a memory for these people. And he's trying to make a picture that expresses something, but not with any sort of advertising goal. That's a great point. This is something also that, that opened my eyes to being aware of posing and how people look during the moment, because too often you're going to be focused on you know, making sure that, that the light is right on the person or making sure that they're turned toward the camera and you might miss something like, you know, their buttons are mismatched or something is is off that you don't see because you're focused on them and, and communicating with them. And then you get back to your shots and you're like, oh, man, like, how did I miss that super obvious thing that my eye went to immediately? It's good to have your brain also be considering those things. And that that just takes practice. So, Kirk, what do you have for Snapshot this week? I've got a geeky tool that I use every once in a while to get information about my photos. It's called EXIF tool, E-X-I-F tool. EXIF data is this kind of metadata that is stored in photos. I'm just looking at EXIF data for a photo of mine. It tells that I'm using a Fujifilm, an X-Pro2, that the orientation was horizontal, that the f-stop was 3.2, the exposure was 1 hundredth, et cetera, et cetera. It tells the color space, the white balance, the quality, in this case, fine, because you have multiple uh, qualities. I'm looking at a JPEG. It tells the uh, film simulation, which Fuji cameras have, the focal length of the lens, the minimum and maximum focal length, if it's a zoom lens, because remember, all these lenses and cameras write this data into the files. Every once in a while, I'm looking for some information about a specific photo. I, I'm not the kind of person who cares. Ooh, tell me how you shot it. You know, what f-stop and shutter speed. I don't care about that, but I was looking for something and every once in a while, I do want to find some information about a photo. And in particular, the Martin Parr portrait that I shot that was blurry, what I wanted to find was what the focus point was. Had I focused on the background instead of the face? And I was able to find that using this. I won't go into that now. It's a little bit complicated to figure that out. 
there's a lot of information in this EXIF data that can be useful at times. And a lot of that information is not exposed in something like the Photos app uh, or even you know Lightroom in some cases. And so having something that, that's dedicated to that can be really helpful. Let me just point out that this is something that you use in terminal in the Mac. Terminal is an, a utility that comes with the Mac. You use it to issue commands using the command line. So you're typing text. After you install this, you type exit tool space, drag your photo into the window, press return. You'll get a hundred odd lines of, of data. There's a windows executable as well. And it's not something that's really accessible to everyone, but if you are curious, if you know what this means, if you know what EXIF data is and you're curious and you know what terminal is, then you might find this a useful tool. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Until next week, thanks again for listening.